0: All right, back on Sound the Battle Cry Radio, and today we're going to do a study, Bible study that was done before, but I'm going to do it again, just like I'm going to do a few, again. This one's called the difference between a babe in Christ and a false convert. Now, this one is, uh, I believe, very important, very important Bible study for many reasons. Um, first and foremost, the the first. Uh, reason for this Bible study the first way that you want to use this one, and the reason that I'm doing it is so that you can examine yourself. Okay, that's the first reason you want to use these tools, these verses to examine yourself whether you be in the faith, whether you're a babe in Christ, or are you a false convert. That's very important to understand because there are ways to tell, and uh, it's a very big distinction. Um, you don't want to be you don't want to be deceived and be a false convert and uh, because then you're on your way to hell and you are not saved. so the, uh, I believe this is very important. We're going to talk about these things today. Uh, this is also going to be talking about the the concept of a carnal Christian quote unquote. Um, I've heard that a lot that someone will say, oh, they're just a carnal Christian. Well, most of the time, what people say as a carnal Christian, I don't even believe exists in the Bible. Uh, I know that may sound wrong and controversial to some of you, but if you pay attention to the study, I will explain myself and uh, about that. And so, you know, let's just get into this quick and um, let's get into the verses. All right, we're going to start off here with this. All right, so we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. Uh-oh, there's carnal, carnal Christian, right? Well, let's continue and see what the Bible says. But I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. So there's that phrase there, babe in Christ. So that phrase is Biblical. It is in the Bible. And uh, so let's find out what that actually means. Even as unto babes in Christ, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For a while one saith, I am of Paul and another, I am of Apollos. Are ye not yet carnal? Who then is Paul? Who then is Apollos? Who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Okay, so what are we talking about here? Well, the purpose of this study is to show how you can tell the difference between a a babe in Christ and a false convert. Sometimes it is hard to tell, no doubt, but many want to make excuses for for professing Christians living in sin by saying that there are so-called carnal christians and that's one of the big reasons for this study is that people make excuses for christians living in sin saying oh they're just a carnal christian yeah yeah they live in sin but they're just a carnal christian that's it well i didn't know there were categories of christians you know, we talk about different stages of growth, like we talk about a babe in Christ or someone that's more mature, but it's almost like this carnal Christian is like a second category of Christian or something. It's just, I I, I don't understand it. It's it's something that's not biblical at all. And we're going to talk about that. So it's basically though to make excuses for sin. That's all it is. That's what it boils down to. But, so the purpose is to show that you can tell the difference between a babe in Christ and a false convert. And these people use 1 Corinthians 3, which we just read as proof, because Paul says that the Corinthians were carnal and equated them being carnal with being babes in Christ. So that's where you get, they take this uh, passage from 1 Corinthians 3, that's where they get the concept of the carnal Christian, okay? Well, the main problem is that many people believe that a Christian can live in a perpetually carnal state or living in a lifestyle of habitual sin with no repentance their whole life and still believe they're saved. That's the problem, and it's a big problem. This is a very dangerous belief and has led thousands, led to thousands, if not millions of people living in a false sense of security, thinking they're saved, and that it's normal for the Christian to live in carnality. I'm here to tell you today, it's not normal for a Christian to live in a state of carnality perpetually every day, no repentance, no conviction from the Holy Ghost. That's not the Christian life. And if you are deceived today and you think that that's okay, you need to examine yourself because it's not okay. Okay, so it's a very dangerous belief. It's med. Yeah, it's led to thousands of people into a false sense of security. Uh, You know, listen, it is more dangerous for someone that is lost to think that they're saved and on their way to heaven than a lost person who knows they're not a Christian. They know that they believe uh, that they reject the Bible, they reject the gospel. It is, they are in a better place then a lost person who thinks they're a Christian thinks they're on their way to heaven and they're trusting that they prayed a prayer one time or whatever they're trusting in, but they're not saved, they're in a more dangerous spot than the other lost person. Because why? Because they have a false sense of security in they think that um, they're on their way to heaven. They think that they do, they they are a Christian. It's very dangerous. Very dangerous. The most dangerous place you can be in in this life is to think you're a Christian when you're lost. So such a belief must be opposed and it is refuted from the scriptures in very clear and strong language. All right, so let's look at what we're going to look at here. First, we're going to look at A, what a babe is. Babe in Christ. B, how can you can how you can tell if someone is a babe in Christ and the characteristics of a babe? And then second, we will look at A, what a false convert is, and B, how you can tell if someone is a false convert or babe in Christ. All right. What is a babe in Christ? So we see the terms I'm sorry, we see the term babes in Christ used a few times in the New, New Testament. This clearly shows that. When someone is born again, John chapter 3 says he must be born again, there are stages of growth for the Christian. The Christian starts as a babe, meaning a baby, and then grows in maturity while striving for perfection, okay? You know, people say, Christians like, they love to say, well, we're not perfect and we're no one's ever going to be perfect, or they go, well we're not going to be perfect till we get to heaven. Yes, that is true. We are not sinless. We will not be sinless in this life until we get our new bodies. But that doesn't mean we don't strive for perfection. Okay, We don't set the bar way down here, a nice low bar, and say, well, at least I'm not this adulterer. At least I'm not like this person. No, that's not the goal. The goal is to be like Jesus Christ. And just cuz we aren't Jesus or just cuz we aren't perfect doesn't mean that's not what we strive to be. Okay? That's that's what we're that's the attitude that we're supposed to have. That's the goal that we're supposed to be moving towards. Okay? And uh many Christians have this idea well, well, I'm not going to be perfect, so eh big deal, I am what I am. No, that's not the attitude you're supposed to have. You're supposed to be striving for holiness. You're striving to be growing in the Lord, growing in holiness, growing in sanctification. And uh, if you're not, you don't have that desire, you better check yourself and examine yourself because that is not the right attitude to have for a Christian. Excuse me. Okay. Okay. So the Christian starts as a babe, then they grow to maturity while striving for perfection. The Christian will never be perfect in this life, but they do have the hope and assurance that one day they will trade trade in their vile body for a glorified sinless body. Yes, we do have that hope. We should have that hope. One day we will have uh we will be able to trade in this this vile body that is uh, this in this the the sin that we once were, uh, I shouldn't say a victim, because the Bible says, for sin is transgression of the law. Okay? So you have to make a choice when you sin. You make a choice to break God's law when you sin. But also, we have a flesh that, uh, when, even when we're saved, we have the old man and we have the flesh that. Uh, the Bible says, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against our soul. So the, we have these fleshly lusts that war against us, and there is a war in our members warring against us, and we have to be reckon ourselves dead unto sin every day, and dead to the desires of the flesh. But one day, that flesh will be gone. And we should look forward to that day. We have that hope that one day that flesh will be gone, and what a glorious day that will be. That is a great day to look forward to. Okay. Uh, Someone who has not been born again. Okay. Someone who has not been born again for long is a babe in Christ. But also, someone can stay a babe in Christ for a longer time than they should because of a number of factors, which will be discussed, okay? Just because, you know, yes, right away, if you just got born again a couple months ago, yeah, you're a babe in Christ. But someone can be saved for 10 years and still be a babe in Christ, and there are many of those out there, especially in American churches today. Why are they still babes in Christ? Because they have not grown the way they have made a choice not to grow the way they should have, and one of the main reasons one of the main reasons that they have not grown is because they have not studied the Word of God and fed themselves with the Word of God in the way that they should have. They have been lazy in their uh, feeding, feasting upon the Word of God. All right, let's continue. How can you tell if someone is a babe in Christ? Let's go to First Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Okay, so we get that phrase there. Newborn babes. What do they desire? The milk of the word. Genuine babes in Christ desire to read the word of God and hear the preaching of the word. This is the only way a babe can grow in the Lord. A babe in Christ who is stuck in a bad church or no church will most likely stay a babe in Christ for as long for a long time because they are not being fed sound doctrine, but instead are fed shallow, watered down preaching and often presented the gospel week after week because the pastor is inviting lost people to church instead of focusing on feeding the flock. Wow, that's a lot of stuff there. So let's backtrack a little bit here. and Let's talk about a couple things. So first of all, if you're born, if you're genuinely born again, and you're a babe in Christ, you are going to have a desire to read the word of God. If you have no desire to read the word of God, there's something wrong with you. And I would question if you were saved. Okay? save people love the Bible. They love the word of God. They want to read the word of God. If you have no desire to read the word of God, you ought to question your salvation. There is something wrong with you. There is something seriously wrong with you if you don't love the word of the living God. This is food. It's more important than food, right? Bible says, I think it was Job. He said, I've esteemed thy words more uh, than my necessary food. Okay, more important than food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That's what Jesus Christ said when he was fighting against the devil. That's what he quoted. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. You can't live. So if you're a Christian, the only way that you can live and survive spiritually is by feeding on the word of God. If you don't, you're not going to survive. Or you're not saved. You're not saved. I don't believe you can lose your salvation. And that's a whole other study, which I do plan on doing some radio shows in the future. I definitely plan on tackling that whole eternal security once saved always saved thing. Uh, I'm not going to get into that now, so don't try to debate me about that. <laughs> I'll be coming out with some shows about that. But anyways, you have to have it if you're a babe in Christ, you are going to have a desire to read the word of God, okay? That doesn't mean, "Well, I'm going to read if you're if you don't read 20 chapters a day of the Bible, then you're lost." No, I'm not saying that okay? Don't be ridiculous. But there has to be a desire to read the Word of God, okay? And you're not going to grow. It says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. What does that mean? It means if you're not reading the Word of God, you're not going to grow. You know, I've heard of some Christians, and some of them are genuinely saved, And they've been saved for a few years and they still haven't read the Bible cover to cover. Listen, friend, if you've been saved for a while and you you haven't read the Bible cover to cover, there's a problem. That That is shameful, okay? The first thing you need to do when you get saved is start reading through it systematically. You need to read the Bible through at least once from Genesis to Revelation and get yourself grounded, okay? You don't have to do it uh, every day, start from Genesis all the way to Revelation in that order, but you can split it up. Maybe in the morning, you read a couple chapters in the New Testament. At night, you read a few chapters of the Old Testament and go through that way. But you got to systematically read through the Word of God, okay? And then once you finish it, start over again and start reading through it systematically over and over again okay? You're not going to be really established in the faith until you've read through the Bible a few times. You're just not. You're not going to be established in the faith. But if you're saved, you've been saved for a few years, and you haven't read the whole Bible from cover to cover, you have got problems and don't expect to be established in the faith and have a strong faith whatsoever if you haven't even read the whole Word of God. Okay, so you ought to have a desire, and you're this is the only way you're going to grow is by reading the Bible. Uh, so then a babe who's stuck in a bad church or no church will most likely stay a babe in Christ. Yeah, because they're not going to be fed sound doctrine. Okay, that's true. Now what's worse, a bad church or no church? Well, it depends. Uh, (laughs) in my opinion, a lot of times a bad church is worse than no church. Oh no, he's saying you shouldn't go to church. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a local assembly that you go to a biblical church. I believe that is good. If there's a biblical church that preaches sound doctrine near you, you should go to it, okay? But if there's a bad church, they are going to be harming you more than you if you were staying home studying the Word of God on your own. They will harm you. The preaching will harm you. The carnal worldly fake Christians will harm you. The whole thing will harm your faith and do damage to you and your family, especially if you got children. It will mess you up and it will it will lead you astray. It is it's very bad, okay? So a bad church is worse than no church. Now, does that mean I'm saying having no church is good? No, I'm not saying that's good. That is not the ideal situation. The Bible clearly teaches that you should have, there should be assembling of yourselves together, a called out assembly of, of uh, born again Bible believers together. But if that's not possible in your present situation, and you shouldn't go down to the local fake worldly church with the, with the rock band on stage. And the hireling pastor. No, you shouldn't. That's not better than nothing. And anyone that tells you that is not speaking uh, for God. Okay? Anyone who tells you, well, you have to go to some church and something's better than nothing. That is a bunch of trash. And you cannot prove that from the Bible. Well, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. Well, guess what? It says the assembling of yourselves. I don't consider a bunch of fake lost worldly fake... Uh, Christians to be the assembling of yourselves together. I, I consider that the assembling of the goats, okay? I'm not assembling with the goats. I'm not assembling with the hireling pastor and the one that lords over the congregation. No, I'm not going to do that. I am not commanded to do such a thing. So don't try to manipulate and guilt trip people into believing that garbage, Okay? We have the Word of God, and this is the final authority in all matters of faith and practice. And now, if you get together and you have a Bible study at home, is that a church? No, I don't believe that's a church. A biblical church should it should be it should be definitely more than one person, at least two or three people, but it's an assembly of believers that have, and it should have the proper structure that the bible says there should be a pastor there should be ordinances of baptism in the lord's supper and there should be some type of regular assembling going on and that you know and then there's church discipline if necessary and these types of things but that's that's a church and it should be organized as a church but if you're just meeting together with no structure and it's just a bible study that's okay there's nothing wrong with that but just don't call it a church. You say, this is just a Bible study. We're having some fellowship. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's good. You got another brother and sisters in the area. Meet together. Fellowship. Bible study. And if po- if it's possible to start a church, then start a church. But that's a whole nother study. We I'll be uh, talking about that more in the future. All right. I just needed to talk about that because of the bad church and no church thing and being a babe in Christ. So here's the next point. So what's one of the ways that someone stays a babe in Christ if, if they're, they're fed shallow watered down preaching for years? And oftentimes presented the gospel week after week. That happens in a lot of fundamentalist churches and other churches too. But the every single week over and over and over again, the pastor preaches the gospel. Now there's nothing wrong with preaching the gospel. But when you have... Uh, you have a congregation the bible's supposed to uh, the, a church is supposed to be a group an assembly of saved people they need to be fed some sound doctrine some meat something to chew on they need to be fed the food of the word of god the bible says that the pastor is supposed to feed the flock which is among you and if they're preaching the gospel over and over again every week the babes are not going to grow they're not being fed sound doctrine. They're just not going to grow. So what happens? They stay babes in Christ and they're not getting fed. And they're going to stay that way for years and years and years. Now, why do these pastors preach the gospel every week? Because there might be some lost people in the church or they actually invite lost people to come to church so they can evangelize them. Why do they do that? Well, because they don't understand evangelism. That brings me to the next point. Evangelism is supposed to be done outside the church. Going to the lost to preach while preaching and teaching. Man, what did I do with this? All right, there we go. Sorry. Okay. Evangelism is supposed to be done. Okay. Going to the lost to preach while preaching and teaching. Wow. I'm sorry. I messed up that sentence structure. That just totally confused myself. So evangelism is supposed to be done outside the church, going to the lost to preach. Okay, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go outside the church to go to the lost. The Bible says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Okay, inviting lost people to church is not going into all the world to preach the gospel to every creature. That's not obeying the commandment of the Great Commission. So while preaching and teaching for the purpose of edification, discipleship, and unity in the faith is supposed to be done inside the assembly of the saints to bring the flock to maturity okay that's the purpose of it the bible says it's the uh for the the local church is supposed to be they've given pastors and teachers for what for the perfecting of saints for the edifying of the body of christ is supposed to build people's faith up to bring them to maturity that's the purpose of the assembly it's a sanctuary from the world That's not where evangelism is supposed to be done. It's not supposed to be done in the church. Now, if a lost person happens to come in, great. Yeah, you can preach the gospel a little bit to them. But make sure you include the gospel in your message. But the main purpose of assembling is to build up the faith of the saints. Okay? Uh, Because most pastors do not understand this, many babes in Christ are starving to be fed and do not grow. They're starving. I've I've heard it so many times that many Christians will say, "Yeah, I go to church, but uh, we're just not getting fed. We're not getting fed anything. We're not getting fed sound doctrine. Why? Because the the pastor's too focused on trying to attract lost people to church, and oftentimes they use either worldly methods to attract the lost people to church, or the you know, are these silly prize and prizes and games like these fundamentalists? They go, well, if you bring this many people to church, I'll swallow goldfish, or I'll I'll let you, I'll let someone. If you bring this many people, to get baptized, I'll let you throw a, a cream pie in my face. And they just act like a clown. Some of you even actually, I've heard they've actually literally dressed up like a clown. Uh, in order, and these are just what are these? It's a bunch of nonsense games. It's worldly. It's shameful, and uh, it's not of God. These are methods that are not of God. You never see any of the apostles or Christians in the Bible using any of these methods to reach the lost. What did they do? They preached the gospel. Paul went to Mars Hill and he preached to the Gentiles where they were at, where they had their intellectual discourses with the Stoics and the Epicureans. And he got up there and he said, I perceive in all things you're too superstitious. And he preached the gospel to them. He said, at the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. He told them to repent. That's what he did. And that's what we're supposed to do. So many of these people, these babes in Christ, they are starving and they're not growing. And uh, so the many babes in Christ are starving and they have to be fed and they do not grow. And churches are also filled with lost people, both professing Christians and non-professing Christians. They're filled with lost people because, first of all, you got all the false converts that come to church, and they don't know that they're, you know, a false convert because the pastor never preaches on that or any sound doctrine, and then you have lost people that were invited there. So what do you got? You got a church full of goats and maybe a couple babes sprinkled in there, and they're being harmed by being there. So you got a church, a lot of churches are filled with goats and babes in Christ. And that's over 90% of churches today. Maybe even higher than that. I'm being conservative with that number. Filled with goats and, and, and babes in Christ. I mean, we are in the great falling away. We are in a days of great, great apostasy such as the world has never seen since the days of Christ. Never. And uh, so it's we need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Jesus Christ said in Matthew 24, the first thing he said when they, the disciples asked him, they said, they asked him, Lord, what is the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And the first thing he said was, take heed that no man deceive you. So the biggest thing to watch out for in the end days, the end times is deception. Very easy to be deceived today. All right. So babes have the desire to be fed and grow, while false converts do not have that desire, but are rather content in the state they are in and rebel against sound preaching. Oh yeah, that's very true. So babes in Christ desire to be fed. They want to be fed sound doctrine. They want to grow. They have that desire. But false converts don't care. They do not care. They are content to go to their silly little social club, which they call a church. It's not a church. And uh, they're content to go to that and never grow, never be challenged, never convicted of their sin. They don't care about that. All they care is showing up, putting in their time, punching in, punching out, going back home, and going back to living their worldly old self with never any change. They're content with that. And whenever you try to disturb them and bring them out of that state, they rebel against it. If they hear real sound preaching, some hard preaching, they hate it, they rebel against it, and they don't like it. Why? Because they're lost and they're a false convert. They're not a babe in Christ. A true babe in Christ will will like it and they'll respond to it and they say, hey, that's great. That's convicting. I want to change. That makes me want to change. It makes me want to grow in the Lord and that is a good thing. All right, let's continue. The Bible also teaches that a born again, a truly born again person will not stay in serious error slash false doctrine forever. The Holy Spirit will guide the believer into the truth and away from the false teaching. Most certainly, if a Catholic or Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, etc., gets saved, they will come out of those, those cults and will not be able to stand the lies anymore. Okay? If one of those people, I hear people say it, many times before. They say, well, you know, there are some saved people in the Catholic Church. Listen, I don't know what you mean when you say that, but let me be very clear. There, if someone is a Catholic, let's talk about two things. First of all, a Catholic is not going to hear the gospel at the Catholic Church. A Jehovah's Witness is not going to hear the gospel at their church. A Mormon is not going to hear the gospel at their church. They are not. They clearly teach work salvation. They clearly add heresies and other false doctrines. They clearly add man's teachings like the Catholic Catechism, the Pope's teachings, or JWs add Charles Taze Russell's writings, or the Watchtower, and the Mormons add Joseph Smith's writings on equal level, even a, a scripture, even above the level of scripture. Okay? So, they are not going to hear the gospel of repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ, that they're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone alone not of works lest any man should boast, they are not going to hear that gospel at that church. Okay, so we got that out of the way. They're not going to hear it there. So if they do hear the gospel, it's going to be somewhere else. So don't tell me that they're going to get saved somehow in that church because they don't even hear the real gospel. They hear a counterfeit gospel there. Now, if they do get saved in one of those churches, are they going to stay there? They might stay there for a little bit, but it's not going to be long and it's not going to be permanent. It's because, let me tell you, first of all, in order to be saved as a Catholic JW Mormon, you're going to have to realize that the false gospel that you believe in, they all preach a false gospel that will send you to hell. The Bible says, if any man preach any other gospel, let him be accursed. Once they realize that the gospel that they have been believing is false, and they believe that they have to repent of that in order to believe the true gospel. Okay? So they if they're going to repent of that and knowing that that's a false gospel, they know that what their church teaches is false. And they might stay there temporarily because they care about their wanting to reach their, their people, other people that go to that church, their family and their friends. They might try for a little bit. And then as soon as they see that a lot of their church, fellow church members and friends are going to reject it, they call them all kinds of names and they're persecuted, they're going to leave. They're going to come out of it. They're going to come out of it. And it's not going to be long before that happens. You are not, there's not going to be a saved person, someone who gets saved out of the Catholic church or JW or Mormon or whatever it is, seven day Adventist, And they stay in there year after year after year and not come out. That is a lie from the pit of hell. If any man preach any other gospel than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. You're not going to tell me, that a saved, born-again child of God is going to sit in a church where they are preaching an accursed, wicked, damnable, false gospel that sends people to hell week after week, and they're going to sit there and listen to that? You are wrong. You're out of your mind. And I even question your salvation for saying that garbage. I question your salvation for saying that, because that is wicked. I'm trying to make it sure that you... You're not confused here. This is clear truth. This is clear biblical truth. There's no confusion about it. It The Bible makes it very clear that there is a difference between a false gospel and the true gospel. And there is no middle ground. There is no compromise. There is no in-between. All right? If they get saved out of those churches, they're going to come out. All right, let's continue. Having said that, let's read a couple of verses. John chapter 16, verse 13. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of Truth, capital S, Spirit, who is that? That is the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. So if you get born again, you have the Holy Spirit come to live inside of you. You get filled with the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. So the Spirit of Truth will be living inside of you. That means if you have the Spirit of Truth living inside you, you will love truth and hate lies. David said, I hate every false way. When you love, when you get saved... You will love the truth and hate lies. Very simple. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear that shall he speak and he will show you things to come. So the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth and you have to want that truth. Now, sometimes the Holy Spirit's going to guide you into truth that you're not going to want to hear. And sometimes you will be slow to want to accept that truth, but nevertheless, you must face the truth, no matter what truth that is. Okay, next verse, John chapter 10, we'll read verses 27 and verse 5 my sheep hear my, this is Jesus talking, by the way. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So if you're born again, you're going to hear the voice of Jesus and you are going to follow him. Next verse five, and a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him for they know not the voice of strangers. So like I said before, If they're sitting in a Catholic church, they're sitting in a Jehovah's Witness church, they're sitting in a Mormon church, a Seventh-day Adventist or a Christian scientist or some other cult, they are not going to sit there and listen to the voice of a stranger of this heresy. They're not going to sit there. They're not going to follow it, but will flee from him. They're going to flee away from that church and they're going to flee towards the word of God. Very simple. Now, I'm going to make a controversial statement here about Bible versions. King James Bible. King James Bible. I'll be doing some shows on this in the future. The King James Bible is the preserved, it's inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God preserved for us today. God has divinely preserved it because there's no point in inspiring the original scriptures and then not preserving for us today. That would be completely pointless even though that's the statement of faith in many churches today they say we believe in the that the scriptures are inspired in the original manuscripts i was put that after again, in the original manuscripts which don't exist today anywhere so they're saying we believe in a perfect inspired word of god that doesn't exist anywhere and the book that the book that we hold in our hands which we call the bible we believe is filled with errors and we don't actually believe that that's the inspired word of God. Okay, sure. Sounds good. Not really. Sounds like you don't actually believe that the word of God, you don't believe you have the perfect word of God today. So that's a whole nother radio show. But what I was going to say is, if someone, I'm going to, Let's talk about the, the modern versions, okay? Because we're talking about my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and a stranger will they not follow but will flee from him for they know not the voice of strangers. So the, the voice, who the, what's the voice of God? What's the voice of Jesus Christ? Where do you hear it? In the Bible, in the word of God, very clearly, okay? The words of Jesus Christ are in the Bible. So that's the voice of God. Jesus said, they will, you will follow and you will not follow a stranger, For they know not the voice of strangers. Okay, now let's talk about modern versions. I believe all modern versions, except for the King James Bible, any other version is a counterfeit version, corrupted. They change doctrine. uh, They they have errors in them. They're just completely um, counterfeit. Now, if someone reads a if someone is saved, uh, if someone reads a modern version, are they lost? No. I don't believe that. I don't believe just because someone reads a modern version of the Bible, they're lost. Can you get saved reading a modern version? Well, you get saved when you hear the gospel, when you understand the gospel. So it doesn't matter if it's through a tract or you hear someone preaching it. You maybe know pieces of portions of a modern version. Yeah, you can get saved. But that doesn't mean that that is the word of God In it is not the perfect word of God. It's not. Okay, so what are you saying here? What I'm saying is... This, if someone is saved and they read the the a counterfeit modern version and someone comes to them and says, hey, not in a self-righteous Pharisee way, like a ruckmanite who comes to them and bashes them over the head and treats them like a like a wicked devil because they read a modern version and they foam with the mouth at them. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in a godly way. You come to someone, you say, hey, did you know that... Let's say it's an NIV, for instance. They say, did you know that the NIV has 64,000 changes? It removes entire verses, like 17 entire verses are gone. It changes doctrine, such as the deity of Christ, 1 Corinthians 3.16. In the King James, it says, uh, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. But in the NIV, it says he appeared in a body. Okay, so it takes out, changes God to he, appeared in a body. It, it, it degrades the deity of Christ and many other scriptures. And you and you talk to them and you show them and you prove to them, you prove to that person that that modern version that they're reading in NIV, for instance, is corrupted. It's not the pure word of God. If you show that person and they're genuinely saved, they should respond to that and say, wow, that's true. And they should throw out their modern version Get themselves a King James Bible and switch to that. Now, if you go to someone, they're reading a modern version, you show them the truth very clearly. I'm not talking about you just you know you just make some assertions and you say modern versions are counterfeits of the devil, and then you don't offer them any proof. No, I'm, I'm talking about you actually patiently sit down and, and prove it to them. Give them some time to think about it, and if you show them all the truth and then they reject it and they attack the King James still and they hold on to their modern versions and they justify it there is a big problem with that. You know why? Because in a stranger will they not follow and what will flee from him for they know not the voice of strangers. The modern versions are modern versions are voice of strangers. It's the voice of a stranger. It's not the voice of the word of God. It's not the voice of Jesus Christ. So if you show them the truth and they reject it, there is a big problem. And I absolutely question that person's salvation. So you see the difference? Just because someone reads a modern version doesn't mean they're lost. But if you go and you show them the truth and then they, then they reject it, then they justify their modern version, then they attack the King James, there's a big problem there. That's when there's a big problem. Okay. Just wanted to throw that in there. All right, let's continue. You can send the hate mail at uh, to Nate at uh, soundthebattlecry.com. dot com. Just kidding. There's no there's no website for that. But you can send your hate mail there. All right, let's continue. All right, Hebrews chapter five, starting verse eleven. Let's move on to the next point. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when, for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. All right, what do we see here? Babes in Christ cannot handle strong meat because they are not ready for it yet and will choke on it like a baby with no teeth. Imagine you have an infant with no teeth and you cut off a nice chunk of juicy steak and you give it to your baby to eat. What's going to happen? And they try to chew that. They will choke. That is an awful thing to do. You ought not to be giving your baby with no tea some steak. It's not going to help. It's not going to work. They need what? What do they need? What's an infant need? Milk. Not infant formula with aspartame and soy. They need breast milk. That's what they need. Only That's, the, that's something that uh, God has made for the infant. That... Man cannot replicate, no matter how hard they try to make some counterfeit infant formula, they will never get close to the nutrients found in a mother's breast milk. And just guess what? You can't get close to the pure milk of the word of God. You can't. And those modern versions are just like an infant formula made with a bunch of aspartame and soy and a bunch of other trash in it. Okay, yes. Now, so babes can't handle the strong meat yet. So, once again, the scriptures say that babes in Christ need the milk of the word. What is the milk? The milk of the word are the foundational doctrines of the Bible, which include what? The gospel, repentance, faith, baptism, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. You can find that in Hebrews chapter 6. Okay, foundational doctrines. That's what they need. Listen, what does that mean? Well, yeah, I understand repentance and faith. No, listen, okay? You ought to be able, you should have thoroughly understand. Listen, you don't understand a doctrine unless you can explain it to someone else, okay? You do not understand a doctrine until you can explain it to someone else. Can you, from the Bible, explain to someone what the gospel is? What repentance is? Faith, baptism, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. Can you explain those things from the Bible having verses? Do you have verses memorized to back those scriptures up? Do you have at least five scriptures for each doctrine to back it up? Hmm. Do you? Let's think about right now. Let's take repentance, for instance. Uh, Do you have five scriptures memorized for repentance? Let's think of some right now. Acts 2.38, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Luke chapter 3 verse 8, bring forth fruits meet for repentance. Acts 20.21, repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 26.20, repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Uh, Luke 13.3, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. You got more, you know? God has commanded all men everywhere to repent. God is not long suffering to us, word that uh, God is long suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You should have multiple scriptures memorized to back up the doctrine that you want to teach, that you need to be able to know and to be able to teach to others. You need to be able to have uh to be able to teach these doctrines if you understand them. If you don't, then you haven't understood those doctrines. Okay, and you're still a babe. You understand that? You are still a babe. Oh, well, I've been saved for 10 years. Who are you to say that, you, you young punk? Listen, if you cannot teach these doctrines, if you cannot explain them from the Bible, show me from the Bible what the Bible teaches about those doctrines, you are a babe. Fact. All right, let's continue. The Bible explains here how you can tell someone is able to handle strong meat. And that is when they have discernment. Okay? That is the biggest difference between a babe in Christ and someone more mature in the faith is discernment. Babes in Christ do not have much discernment. They cannot tell the difference between true and false doctrine. It is easy for them to be deceived by false teachers. And that is why it is so important for them to study the word of God right away and learn sound doctrine. As soon as they get saved, get in the word of God, get in the word of God right away. Start reading it every day. Start devouring it. Start studying it. Learn it because that's the only way you're going to prevent yourself from being deceived by false teachers. Some people say they need to get in church right away. Well, really? That's the first thing they need to do. Well, that may have been true at one time, but right now, with the widespread apostasy, false doctrine, and worldliness in the churches, you think a babe in Christ is going to be able to tell what church would be a good good to go to? I think that is horrible advice. They should study the Word of God right away and get established before they make such a big decision as that. Okay? Okay. I couldn't think of a worse thing to do to a babe in Christ to say, here, just go join some church. Here, you just decide. Go, go ahead. Just go to join some church. That's what you need to do. You just need to get in church. You need to get in church. Okay. Most likely a church they're going to go to is going to be trash. It's going to be horrible for them. It is going to hurt their faith. It's going to deceive them and it's going to damage them. And it's probably going to teach them some false doctrines that would take them years to unlearn. Very bad idea. The first thing they need to do is to learn the word of God. That's what they need to do. They need to get in the word of God, study it, learn it. Hey, why not read through the word of God at least one time the whole book? before you decide and then say, okay, well, now at least I read the Bible one time and I've studied a little bit. Now, at least I have some understanding of what the Bible says before I go ahead and dive into a church. I think that's a better idea. All right. Charles Spurgeon said this, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. That's what discernment is between right and almost right. You see, deception, very subtle. Satan is the most subtle beast of the field. Sometimes the uh, false doctrine is very close to the truth. Sounds very close and similar to the truth, but it's a lie. Doesn't mean it's any less deadly. It is even more deadly. More deadly. Because it's closer to the truth. It's more deceptive. And when you have discernment, The sharper your discernment gets, the more you're going to be able to see those subtle lies that are in there that are being taught, right? Babes in Christ have a difficult time spotting a wolf in sheep's clothing. See, it's not just a wolf running around as a wolf. It's a wolf in sheep's clothing. So that means babes in Christ are going to look at that wolf's in sheep's clothing and think that it's a sheep. That's why they wear sheep's clothing, to deceive the sheep. They try to look and sound like a sheep. So babes and Christ have a difficult time spotting a wolf in sheep's clothing that preaches a lot of truth but mixes in a little bit of lies or commits the sin of silence by omitting important doctrines. That's important too. Important for discernment that it's not just what a preacher does preach that he mixes in some false doctrine. It's what a preacher doesn't talk about. That's also very important because some things that a preacher avoids talking about, that's a way that he's a false teacher because he just avoids talking about it altogether. And he's keeping you away from it. He doesn't want to preach on it either because he's scared or he's being deceptive. All right. The verses we read in Hebrews chapter five also show us that there's different stages of growth. A babe, okay, so it starts off as a babe. A babe needs milk so they can grow. They need to learn the basics and get established in the faith, okay? And so they need to get established in the faith. Once they get established in the faith, then they mature to the point where they can teach others, okay? And it's not just, they don't just grow by the word of God. There's also uh, growing through trials and experience and these types of things, chastening of the Lord. Those are all tools that God uses to grow the babe into maturity. So in verse 12 the scriptures say that certain people should have should have been at the point where they were teachers, but they were stuck at the milk stage and would not grow. If someone does not grow in the faith, it is because they have made the choice not to. They have made the choice not to obey the commandment, to study, to show themselves approved unto God. Okay. That is a commandment of the word of God. The Bible commands you study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay. You are commanded to study the word of God. So it's a choice that you have to stay a babe in Christ or to grow to how fast you're going to grow you have a choice as to how fast you can grow study the word of god so you don't stay a babe in christ forever okay all right so we're done that let's move on ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the for why for the perfecting of the saints For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive." All saved people are referred to as children of God, okay? No matter what stage of growth you're in, everyone's uh, referred to as a child of God. Like the Bible talks about, we are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. You know, um, the Bible says, to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. We're all called the children of God when you're saved. But the use of the word children is, in this passage refers to spiritual maturity because it says no, that we henceforth be no more children but grow up into um, the perfect man, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. As was stated before, babes in Christ have little discernment and therefore are easily deceived, and can be tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. They are like a sailboat without with no rudder, tossed around the ocean and left to the mercy of the wind. Just one here one day. You believe one thing one day, you believe another thing the other day. That's not growing in Christ. That's being tossed to and fro. No stability. One day, no direction. One day they believe one thing, the next day they believe another. They are as sheep with no shepherd, wandering after every stranger that walks by. That is why God gave evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. Perfecting means to bring to maturity. And also, that's why I gave you the Word of God, so that you know who's preaching the Word of God and who isn't. Because you're supposed to be as the Bereans. What did they do? They even tested what Paul the Apostle preached. They teach, they search the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. They were noble. Paul, the apostle called the Bereans noble because they tested his teaching and preaching against the word of God. That's what you're supposed to do. If you want to have discernment, you need to measure and test everything that someone preaches against the word of God. Everything you hear on this radio show that I do. Test it against the word of God. See if what I'm saying is true. If it's taken out of context, if there's anything false in it, test it against the word of God. Don't just take my word. Don't just take other preachers' words. Test what everyone preaches against the word of God yourself. You have to do it yourself. You have a responsibility to try. The Bible says, prove all things. You have a responsibility to prove everything that you hear, spiritually speaking, whether it lines up with the word of God or not. You have a responsibility to study to show yourself approved unto God. You have a responsibility. It's not someone else's responsibility. It's not the pastor. It's not your buddy down the street. It's your responsibility to test all things against the word of God. That's the objective standard for truth and morality that you are given by God to test all things. That's how you avoid the confusion and deception in this world. Let's continue. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 9 Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Excuse me, I'll get some water. All right. So, if you are a babe in Christ, God is not going to let you grow until you get off the milk. Okay. You need to feed on the milk for a while, but then the day comes when it's time to eat some real food. Okay. That means you need to get the foundational doctrines of the Bible down, and then you can build upon that foundation. When the Bible says precept upon precept and line upon line, it means that once you learn certain truths from the scriptures, then you can understand other truths from the scriptures and you continue to build upon what you have learned in the past. Each time you read through the Bible, you understand more and more because you have a greater knowledge of the Bible as a whole. The Bible defines and interprets itself. So the more you know, the deeper your understanding. Okay? That's why it's important to systematically read through the Bible over and over and over again. You're never going to exhaust it. You're never, it's never going to get old. You're never going to run out of things to learn. You're always going to be learning new things. So keep reading, keep reading, keep reading through the Bible every day. Jesus said what? Give us this day our daily bread. You thought he was only talking about physical food? No, he's talking about the word of God too. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Also, the Holy Spirit will reveal to you more truth as you obey what light has been given to you. God will not show you more truth and you will not grow until you obey the light that has been given to you already. Let me ask you a question. Why should God give you more light if you haven't obeyed that which he's already given you? That's the question you need to ask yourself. Why would God show you more truth when you haven't even obeyed what he's already shown you? Why does he need to show you anything else? Why does the Holy Spirit need to reveal to you something new when you haven't even revealed what, re- obeyed what he's already revealed? He's not, you're not going to get any more fresh truth from the word of God until you obey that, which you've already been given. Okay. It's very simple concept from the word of God. So if you want to grow, if you want to God to show you more truth and you want to grow in the Lord, you need to obey that, which he's already shown you. You need to obey. So part of growing in the Lord is obedience. You need to learn to obey what God has shown you. That's how you grow. And don't expect any more light because all you're doing is heaping more condemnation on yourself. Why are you asking for more light so you can bring more condemnation upon yourself as to what you didn't obey? Right? You want God to show you the truth about something else so then you can not obey it? No. You're better off being ignorant and not obeying than knowing more and then not obeying that too. Okay? You're better off just obeying what you already have. That's what you need to do. All right, chastening. So we're going to get in here some of the evidences of salvation here, which could be an entire teaching, but we're just going to uh, talk about a few really quickly, okay? Chastening. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, children of God, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. So if God chastens you, it's because he loves you. And scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If he endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. If you do not have chastisement, if you are not chastened of the Lord when you sin, you are not saved. You are lost. The Bible says, then are ye bastards and not sons. God is not your father if you're not chastened. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. This is one of the clearest evidences that someone is a born-again child of God or not. If someone is genuinely born again and they sin, God will chasten them. They will not be able to live in a lifestyle of sin and enjoy it. The pleasure of sin will not be the same as it was before conversion. Okay? If you're saved, God, and you sin, God will chasten you. He will take away joy and peace from you. Boom, like that. As soon as you sin, boom, joy and peace gone until you repent. And, uh, and, and chastening will get some more severe if you if you refuse to repent okay you will be chastened if you're saved and you sin you will and do not deceive yourself and thinking that you can continue on living in sin, living in sin, living in sin with no chastening, no conviction of the Holy Ghost, and think that you're saved. You're deceiving yourself. You're not saved. You're a false convert. You're lost. You're on your way to hell. You need to wake up. You need to repent, believe the gospel, and truly be born again because you're not saved. Okay, you need to come to face reality that you are not saved. You're not a child of God. You're not born again. That's not the evidence of a saved person. Okay, chastening. If ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. All right. Let's continue. That's right. That was my son. All right. Also add. Love for God slash Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. Anathema maranatha means damned to hell at the second coming of Jesus. Okay, so that is the fate of the lost person, but a saved person does love the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is one of the first evidences of a babe in Christ is that they love Jesus, especially for dying for their sins and saving them. This love for Jesus will motivate them to want to obey and serve Him all the days of their life. Okay, here it is very clearly. Here's a couple of scriptures. First John 4:19. We love Him because he first loved us. Here's another one. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments for John 14, 15. So that is not work salvation, as some would like to say. He's, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So we keep, save people, keep his commandments because they are saved already and they're showing their love towards Jesus their love towards God by obeying they are not obeying in order to be saved or to maintain their salvation that's not what it means it means that because we're saved because Jesus Christ has died for our sins and he has uh given us himself we show our appreciation, our thankfulness, our love towards God by obeying his commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. What's the opposite of that? If you don't love me, don't keep my commandments. Very simple. Okay, so you will love God. You, if someone is saved, they're going to love Jesus and they're going to show that love for him by striving to obey him and keep his commandments. Very clear evidence of a of salvation. Let's move on to the next one. Love for the brethren. 1 John 5, 1 and 2. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Okay? So if we're saved and we say that we love God, love him that begat, we loveth him also that is begotten of him. We will also love those that are also born again. Here's another one. 1 John 4, verse 20 and 21. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, though that we, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. Okay? So if you say that you love God, oh, I'm saved, I love God, but you hate your brother, you are a liar. You are a liar. You're not saved, you don't love God, you hate your brother. And the Bible says that he that hateth his brother is a murderer, and no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Okay, so you can't say you're saved. So when someone gets saved, one of the first things they will desire is to find and fellowship with other true believers. They want to find someone else. Say, hey, I want to find some saved people. They have been adopted into a new family, and they have a love for that family which is stronger than blood. Proverbs 18.24 says, there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Okay, and th- and that's the way it should be. When we're saved, when we're born again, and someone else, we f- we want to find some other people that are born again, that are children of God, that have the Holy Ghost in them. We want to have fellowship with them, and it's great. It's great to fellowship with the saints of God, those that are truly born again, not the fakes, not the phonies, not the false converts that'll stab you in the back and and backbite you. No, I'm talking about the real saints of God that love that want a fellowship, that it's a great time and you have fellowship in the Lord and you talk about the things of God. Unlike the world that only wants to talk about sports and and foolishness and entertainment and all these other things, that they don't want to talk about the things of God. But the true saints of God, they want to talk about spiritual things. And that is a pleasure. It is a joy to be able to talk in fellowship with the saints of God. Okay, so you will have love for your brother if you're saved. Here's another evidence not loving the world. First Corinthians two twelve says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So it says, We have not received the spirit of the world. We don't have the same spirit as the world. We don't we're not supposed to do things as the world does it. We have the spirit which is of God. Here's another one, 1 John 2, verse 15, love not the world. Let's hear that again. Come on, let this stick in with you. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What does that mean? He's not saved. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Okay, if you love the world, you're not saved. Wow. Can you are you are you serious? Are you serious? You sound like a Pharisee and a legalist. Well, guess what? That's what the Bible says, my friend. It says, If you love the world, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Okay? You have never experienced the love of God. You have never been saved if you still love the world. You still love the ways of the world. You love the world's entertainment. You love the world's music. You love the world's dress. You love the world's money. You love all the things of the world. You are not a child of God. The Bible says, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. You are supposed to be crucified to the world, dead to it, and it's supposed to be dead to you. There's supposed to be nothing in it that you desire. You desire now a new life. You desire not earthly things, but heavenly things. Seek those things which are above, not those things which are upon the earth heavenly things, spiritual things, the word of God, prayer, fellowship with the saints, obeying God. That's what you're supposed to desire. Evangelizing. You're supposed to desire people to be saved, to spread the gospel. Those are supposed to be your desires, not the things of the world. Not supposed to love the world. That's an evidence of salvation. All right, the last one we're going to talk about right now is prayer. Prayer. Matthew 6, 5, and when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. So, what did Jesus say here? He did not say, if you pray. He said, when you pray. It is assumed that disciples of Jesus will pray automatically. Jesus automatically assumed that you're praying. He said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't go in public and sound a trumpet and say, everyone, we're all going to have a prayer now. We're going to have a time of prayer. Everyone watch me pray now. Or like the guys that get up in front of church and they pray for like forty minutes, and and you're like sitting, you're gonna fall over and fall asleep. Yeah, those guys that that make a long prayer for a pretense. Yeah, like the hypocrites. When the Bible, when you're supposed to enter in your closet and pray where God sees you, not where man sees you. Now, does that mean that you're not supposed to have corporate public prayer? No, you can have that. But you don't go in the streets and go and uh, look at me pray or like the Muslims do every five times a day, wherever they are. They have to get on the ground, spread out their prayer rug and start praying to Mecca. Oh, everyone sees how holy you guys are because you get down and you pray to Mecca five times a day. We get it. Yeah, we understand you're holy No, that's being a hypocrite. That's being a heathen who is praying so everybody else can see that they pray. But Jesus said, when you pray, it's assumed that you're going to pray. If you you are a child of God, you're born again, you will pray. You will want to talk to God. You want to pray to God. You will depend upon God. Jesus said, for without me, you can do nothing. So if you can't do anything without God, you better ask God for help. The Bible says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, right? You have not because you ask not. Very simple, right? You have not because you ask not. You have to ask God. You have to pray to God if you want him to answer your to you, to help you, okay? Let's read another one. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Ready for this? This is a big one. Pray without ceasing. There you go. It's very short, very direct, but nevertheless, and it's important and it's a commandment. Pray without ceasing. Does that mean every moment of every day I do nothing but pray? No. It means as often as you can, you should be praying. You should pray about everything. Pray about your food before you eat. Pray about, thank God for every time something happens, a blessing. Pray to God in times of trials and temptations. Pray to God every day. Okay, Pray about everything. Pray before you make a decision. The command to pray in the example of prayer in the Word of God is overwhelming. So many verses about prayer. Praying to God should come natural to the truly born-again believer. The believer may have trouble praying and may backslide into times without much prayer, but the life of the believer is not totally absent of real Holy Ghost prayer to God. If you got week after week after week and you're not praying, there's something majorly wrong, majorly wrong. And I would check myself. I would I would uh, check my salvation. Because if you're going for some time without prayer, you're going to be chastened by God. You're not going to be happy. You are going to be miserable, okay? And you're going to want to pour your heart out to God. You better repent and get back to God. All right. Okay, well, that was the end of that section about uh, evidences of uh, someone being a babe in Christ and, and being born again. Now let's move on to carnal babe versus carnal lost man. The, that we'll get into the whole carnal Christian concept. And get a drink of water, and we'll get into this. All right, excuse me. Woo, just had a little stretch there. All right, the word carnal has many, has different meanings, not many different meanings. The word carnal has different meanings depending on the context, just like many other words. Carnal can mean, number one, in an unregenerate state or lost, which you find in Romans chapter eight. Number two, fleshly or sensual, 1 Corinthians three. Number three, pertaining to the ceremonial law, Hebrews chapter nine. Or number four, or physical items in this world, such as weapons from 2 Corinthians 10 or money, Romans chapter 15. Okay, so this is important uh, when it comes to biblical interpretation. I've seen many instances of false doctrine being taught because someone takes one word and they say, and I love when they do the law first mentions. when it, <laughs> You can't always do that. They go, well, the first time the, the Bible uh, uses a word, then that's how you're going to, it's going to be defined throughout the Bible generally. Well, that's not always true. Okay. The, uh, The, definition of a word depends on the context. That's the biggest, that's the biggest way that you find out what a word it means and is the context. And, uh, but one of the biggest rule, one of the biggest things when it comes to biblical interpretation, that's important to know is that sometimes a word will have more than one meaning. And the, me, the definition and the meaning of the word will change depending on the context. You need to understand that. You can't always define, just because you hear one, you see one word defined one way doesn't mean it's used that same way all throughout the Bible. That's not how you define, that's not how you interpret the Bible. Okay, let's go back here real quick and just see where these, the word carnals mention, mentioned. So you can see how it's used in different contexts. This would be good to look at real quick. So Romans chapter 8. Carnal is used as defined as a as an unregenerate state or lost. Romans chapter eight. Wish I would have wrote down the verse, but that's okay. I probably because I didn't plan on turning to it. But all right, uh, here we go. Romans chapter eight, verse six. For to be carnally minded is death So the carnal mind is enmity against God. What's enmity? It's a perpetual state of opposition. It's at war with God. The carnal mind's at war with God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. The carnal mind, it's lost. Okay? That's a lost person. Now, let's look at the second definition. Fleshly or sensual, 1 Corinthians 3. we I think we read that earlier. All right. First Corinthians 3. Three says this: For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? So he's saying you're being carnal, you're acting like a lost man, even though you're not lost, and you're being fleshly. All right. So that's another usage of the word carnal. Here is let's look at number three, pertaining to the ceremonial law, Hebrews chapter nine. you're some hebrew roots person don't get mad at this all right hey hebrews chapter 9 we gotta find this here There oh, we go uh let's start in let's go back to yeah let's go back to verse 6 Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle accomplishing the service of God, but into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect, as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings, and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ, being come to an high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building." Okay, so and you can continue on with that, but it says carnal ordinances. What were those carnal ordinances? Does it mean does it mean uh, sinful or fleshly? No, it just means that it was uh, pertaining to the ceremonial law. They were carnal ordinances, things that you had to do. Carnal mean, carnal means physical. Okay, um, if you study the Bible, the Old Testament shadows and types were physical earthly representations of heavenly things, okay? The tabernacle was a physical earthly representation of the heavenly tabernacle, and that's why it was called carnal, okay? So all the ordinances that were done were carnal, because carnal meaning in this context, earthly, earthly uh, ordinances, earthly tabernacle, carnal, okay? And then the which, kind of in, which is kind of similar to this definition is definition four is or physical items in this world. Okay. So this is, it's very similar to definition three. It's physical items in this world, earthly things, such as weapons, second Corinthians um, chapter 10. Let's look at that one. Get your Bibles out. Second Corinthians 10. Mm -mm 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 -mm. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, okay? So it's saying the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. What does that mean? They're not physical weapons. We don't fight a war with physical weapons. You can't fight the devil. You can't shoot the devil with your AK-47. It's not going to do anything to him. But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. It's talking about spiritual weapons, okay? Okay. So it's in this context, the word carnal means something that's earthly and physical. Uh, or money, Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15 says this. I can find it quick. Doo, doo, doo. Okay. Sorry, guys, a little bit of dead air here. You probably found it before I did. Wow. Talking about money here. Oh, okay. I think I know where this is. Wow. Okay. Well... Maybe it's cuz I'm under pressure here on the radio show and and uh my eyes are just skipping over it. Sorry guys. And now I'm getting obsessed with finding it. This is embarrassing, but I'm going to find it. <laughs> All right, real quick. Okay, this guy knows right here. Is it, is it Romans 15? Come on now. Maybe it isn't in Romans 15. Maybe that's the problem. Oh, wait. Yo, I got it. Oh, I found it. Whew. Sorry, guys. That was probably painful for you. Verse 27. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are, for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. Okay, so if you look at the context of that, that's referring to money. So once again, carnal is referring to something physical, okay? Money, weapons. Hebrews chapter 9 is talking about ceremonial law, these earth carnal ordinances, earthly ordinances, not spiritual. Okay, so that so these definitions they're all they're all kind of like tied together and they're similar but they are different definitions and they mean different things depending on the context. So it's important to define the word depending on the context. All right? Now, having said that, let's continue. This is why it's important in understanding the whole carnal Christian doctrine, okay? In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is referring to the second definition of carnal, meaning that the babes in Christ at Corinth were letting their flesh get out of control in their lives instead of crucifying the flesh and walking in the spirit. The main issue Paul was calling them carnal for was envying, strife, and divisions. Okay, Romans chapter 8, verse 2. Yeah, I mean, well, before we continue, he was for for envying, strife, and division, okay? They're fighting, they're having strife between each other, they're uh, envying each other, they're divided, that's why he's saying you're being carnal the way that you're acting, okay? That's what he was saying. Now, I believe there's a big difference between that and uh, someone who perpetually lives in a state of sin every day, day after day, with no conviction of the Holy Spirit, no repentance. There's a big difference between that, Okay. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 9 says this, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be the Spirit of God dwell in you, Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Here, the carnal mind is said to be enmity in a state of opposition or an enemy against God. The carnal mind is also equated to being in the flesh, which state cannot please God. Verse 9 says that if you're saved and have the Holy Spirit in you, you will not live in the flesh. This means you will not live in a constant state of sin with no chasing or repentance. I mean, guys, the Bible clearly says, the Bible clearly says it says, verse 8, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Then verse 9 says, But, it's connected, but ye are not in the flesh. This is talking to save people. Ye, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is not of his. He is not saved. So if you don't have the Spirit of Christ in you, you're not saved. If you do have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, you're not going to live in the flesh, but you're going to live in the Spirit. Okay? Your life is going to be characterized by living in the Spirit, not in the flesh. You're not going to live in the flesh day after day. Very clearly, the difference between a saved person and a lost person. That's what Romans chapter 8 says. Very plain as day. Okay, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. This I say, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye led, be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law." But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. All right. A saved person has a war going on between the flesh and the Spirit. The pleasure of sin is taken away when someone gets saved and they no longer, they can no longer enjoy the sin in the same same way they used to. A lost person does not have that war going on because they do not have the Holy Spirit. The lost person can live in the lust of their flesh all the time and have no conviction that it's wrong. Someone who consistently walks in the flesh with no chastening from God and conviction of the Holy Spirit is not saved. Okay. What did it say here? It said, these are the works of the flesh, and then it lists them, and then it says, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not go to heaven. They will not be saved. They are not saved if they do such things, if they live in a perpetual state of all these sins with not repenting. They will not inherit the kingdom of God very clearly. And then it says, they that are Christ, those that are saved, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Okay? They're dead to sin. Okay? There's a warfare, but they're dead unto sin. They're not, they're not alive unto it like they used to be. Yeah, I love sin and I'm going to live in it. No. That's not a saved person. All right? So, also mentioned here is another evidence of salvation: the fruit of the Spirit. This fruit will not be perfectly displayed right away. You know, talk about the fruit of the Spirit. People are like, oh, and then, then we're supposed, then we're just supposed to have perfect fruit right away. You're expecting a babe in Christ to be perfect right away? No, I'm not saying that. It's like whenever you talk about living holy, there are always people come out with, oh, you think people should just be perfect, right? They should just be perfect. No, that's how I'm saying. There's no such thing as sinlessly perfect when you're saved, but that's just a cop out that people say so that they don't have to strive for holiness, okay? Whenever you hear someone say, oh, and you just think that we should just live sinlessly, you know that's a person that's living in sin. They're defending sin. They're defending living a defeated, sinful life because they don't want to strive to obey God. There's something wrong with that person when they say that nonsense, Okay. So this fruit will not be perfectly displayed right away, but there will be some evidence of this fruit. Right away, there should be inwardly fruit of, inwardly fruit of love, joy, and peace. When you get saved, you have that burden of sin rolled away, rolled off your, you know that hymn that is sing, rolled away, rolled away. I am happy since my burdens rolled away. That burden rolled away. I am happy since my burdens rolled away. Well, how could you not be happy when Jesus rolled the burden of your sin away? You should have love, joy, and peace right away when you get saved. You should. And if you didn't, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. I question your salvation if you don't have that love, joy, and peace right away. Okay? uh, I am happy since Jesus rolled my burdens away okay you should have right away those inwardly the fruit of love joy and peace when you get saved you feel love towards god because you experienced his love as a father towards you for the first time you feel the you feel love towards god how could you not have feel love towards god when you get saved you right away you say wow now i love god and i know he loves me he's my father now and you feel that love for the first time in your life Yes, you should feel that love. You feel the joy of salvation, which dispels the sadness and anger you had before. Finally, that's gone away because you got saved. You have the joy of the Holy Ghost inside you. Yes, you should have that fruit right away when you get saved. And you feel peace because you're no longer at war with God, but have made peace with him and entered into his rest finally jesus said come unto me all ye that labor and heavy laden and i will give you rest i will give you rest you'll finally rest you have that peace of god you'll have that peace at no longer being at enmity with god peace through the blood of his cross yes you should have peace peace right away when you get saved Absolutely, you should have love, joy, and peace. And if you didn't, there's a problem. All right? As time goes on and you grow, these fruits and other fruits of the Spirit will manifest more and more. As was mentioned earlier, one of the evidences of salvation is chastening. One of the purposes of chastening is to produce more fruit in your life. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 says this, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. See that? The chastening yields what? The peaceable fruit of righteousness. Notice that it says it yields fruit, but what kind of fruit does it say? Peaceable fruit. Wow. Peace, peace, peace is a fruit of salvation. Okay, don't ever let anyone tell you that peace isn't a fruit of salvation. When you get saved, you should have peace. And if you didn't, there's a problem. Amen. That is the truth from the Word of God. It yieldeth the peaceable fruit of salvation. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace is a fruit of salvation. Amen. Praise the Lord. So those who try to defend the wicked behavior of many professing Christians by saying that, well, the Bible says there are carnal Christians, and they're just babes. Those are just babes in Christ, right? That's all they are. They're just carnal babes. Well, they are not rightly dividing the word of truth. And they are giving people an excuse to live in sin, and that's wicked. There is no such thing as a carnal Christian with no conviction of the Holy Ghost over their sin, no chastening of God their Father, and no war between the flesh and the spirit. That is just a carnal lost person pretending to be saved. I hope that was very clear, cuz that is the truth. No such thing as a carnal Christian when you that's the way you define it. No such thing. Don't be deceived. If you're deceived and you think that, you're lost. If you think other people can be like that, you need to repent of that because that's trash. You've been taught wrong. All right, let's continue. What is a false convert? Some people say there's no such thing as a false convert. And I say unto that, you are a fool. You don't know the word of God or you're lost. Fact. Fact. A false convert is someone who thinks that they're saved and tells people they're saved, yet they are not truly born again. This is someone who has repeated a prayer one time with someone, yet has not truly believed on Jesus from the heart. The heart is what matters. You can say all you want. You can put on a show all you want. But what matters is what do you believe in your heart? This is someone who says with their mouth, they believe in Jesus. They believe Jesus died for their sin, yet they have not... Listen, people, Catholics say Jesus died for their sins. That doesn't mean they're saved, okay? They say with their mouth, yes, Jesus died for our sin, for their sin, yet they have not repented of their sin, and they love their sin. Ooh, that dirty R word, the repentance. Very important. Repentance means you are you admit your sin you're sorry for your sin you hate your sin and you turn from a life of sin and turn to jesus christ you put your faith in him that's repentance that's biblical uh, repentance godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of that's what the bible says about repentance okay if there's no repentance no salvation uh, yet they have not repented of their sin and they love their sin. These are people that have sat in church all their lives. They've been baptized. They've made professions of faith. Sometimes, many times, they come forward to the altar. They make a profession, but they're not saved. They tithe. They go soul winning. They're deacons and even pastors, but they're lost. They're false converts, false professors. Jesus said, many shall come to me in that day. Many will come to Jesus in that day. And they'll say, Lord, Lord, did we not do many wonderful works in thy name? Did we not prophesy in thy name? Did we not cast out devils in thy name? And in thy name did many wonderful works. And then he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire to prepare for the devil and his angels. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. Okay? That's what he's going to say to these people who thought that they, who said that they knew Christ. Lord, Lord. They said, Lord, Lord, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. But Jesus said, I never knew you. You were never mine. You were never saved. I never knew you. You're not a sheep. You just pretended to be. You don't want to be in that boat. There are false converts in many different denominations, and they all say they believe in Jesus. But they believe in a false Jesus they have molded in their mind to fit their lust, okay? Anybody can say they believe in Jesus. And believe me, many people do. 70% of America claims to be some type of Christian, okay? Including Catholics. They all say they believe in Jesus, but do they believe in the Jesus of the Bible is the real question. The answer is most of them do not. They have created a false Jesus in their mind that they think they believe in Jesus. They say they believe in Jesus, but they believe in a fake Jesus that is not the Jesus of the Bible, a Jesus that mainly allows them to live in sin. That gives them loopholes to live in sin. That's who they believe in or a Jesus that thinks that somehow is going to approve of their life because of their good works. In the case of Mormons and JWs and Catholics, they think that their good works are going to cover up their sin. They try, they think they try to live a good, moral, clean life. But guess what? All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. all that, all the good works, they're not going to cover up any sin that's a false jesus they believe in it's not the jesus of the bible so let's look at some signs of a false convert so let's talk about a couple things first sometimes it is hard to tell if someone is saved or not you're not going to be able i'm not saying 100% you're going to go be able to go around and saying they're lost they're lost they're lost they're saved they're lost you're not gonna, I'm not saying you can do that okay i'm i'm not saying go around like a pharisee not saying that whatsoever don't you try to accuse me of that because that ain't what I'm teaching, okay? So sometimes it is hard to tell if someone is saved or not, but there are a few ways to tell for a fact someone is not, not saved, okay? Here's a few black and white things that you can say. Absolutely, you can look at someone and saying you're lost. You are not saved. There are sometimes you can do that. There are sometimes you can say, you're definitely lost. There's no way that you're saved, okay? And here's a few if they believe salvation is any other way but through Jesus Christ. John fourteen six, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's no other way to have peace with God, to have a relationship with God except through Jesus Christ. No other way to be saved except through Jesus Christ. Neither is salvation in any other way. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other way except through Jesus Christ. So if anyone says salvation is outside of Jesus Christ, they're lost. They are not saved. And you can very clearly tell them, you are not saved. You're lost. You need to be born again. You must be born again. You need to repent and believe on Jesus Christ. Very clear. Okay, here's another one. And it's not a sin, by the way, to tell someone they're lost. It is the most loving thing you can do is to tell a lost person that they're lost because they can't get saved until they first find out that they're lost until they know and they admit that they're lost. And they say, yes, I am a lost sinner on my way to hell. I deserve hell. Please, Jesus Christ, save me. Yes, you need to. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. He came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance If you don't admit that you're a sinner and that you're lost, you cannot be saved. Self-righteous people that will not admit that they're lost will not be saved. So it is not a sin for you to say you're lost to someone. Don't let anyone tell you that. They're a liar. They don't know what they're talking about. They're not biblical. All right, let's look at the next one. If they believe they're saved by good works, trying to keep the law or trying to be a good person and not by grace through faith alone in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hey, Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through nine. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We're not, you're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. You're not saved by good works. 1 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 15, what does it talk about? It talks about the gospel. He says that uh, Jesus Christ was buried according to this, that He died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that He was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel, okay? And if they don't believe in that, then they're not saved, okay? If someone tries to tell you that they're saved, if you, if they tell them that they're going to go to heaven because they're trusting in their good works, they're lost. If they try to say that they can keep the law of God to be saved, they're lost. If they try to say that, well, I'm a, I'm a good person, they're lost. And if they, that's it. Any of those things that they, if they say that they are lost, if they're trusting in their baptism, they're lost. They're all lost. They are not saved. I don't care if they say they're a Lutheran or any other denomination. They, as some type of Christian, they are lost if they say they're saved by any type of good works. Period. End of story. Here's another one. If they have never repented of their sin, never had any conviction and hatred of sin, Luke 13, 3, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Acts 26, 20, repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. There will be evidence someone has repented. They've turned to God and do works meet for repentance. Okay. Jesus clearly said, if you don't repent, you're going to perish. You're going to go to hell. Okay? If they've never repented of a life of sin and rebellion against God, they're not saved. Okay? And there's many out there, many false convert fundies who've repeated a prayer one time. They say they're saved. They got baptized, but they've never repented. And they're lost. There's many out there that... Repeat the Jack Kyle's false doctrine, which says repentance means to change your mind from unbelief to belief. They're lost. They're not saved. That's false. That is a wicked heresy. Repentance doesn't mean to change your mind from unbelief to belief. It means to turn from sin unto Jesus, turn from a life of sin unto God. That's what sin means. It means to be sorry for sin, hate sin, and turn from your sin. That's repentance repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. okay? If they've never repented, they're lost. If they twist any the attributes of Jesus or God, any any member of the Godhead, if they twist the attributes of God, his deity, his sinlessness, virgin birth, eternal existence, bodily resurrection, if they twist any of those attributes of God of Jesus, they are lost. You can't deny the deity of Christ and be saved. You can't deny the sinlessness of Christ and the virgin birth and the bodily resurrection of Jesus and be saved. No, you're a heretic. You're a heretic. You're not saved. You can't deny the deity of Christ and be saved. You're lost. You don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. You believe in a different Jesus that's not the Jesus of the Bible. This is because they're believing in a false Jesus that is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Bible warns of another Jesus And another gospel, 2 Corinthians 11, 14, it talks about another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit. And then Galatians 1, 8, 9 says, If any man preach any other gospel which we have preached, let him be accursed. Okay, they're not saved. Okay, so those, those are some evidences that you can tell for a fact. If someone fits those categories, any of them or a mixture of them, they're lost. And you can look at them and say, listen, you're not saved, you're lost. You need to repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you need to repent of these false beliefs because you're not saved. You are clearly a lost man. And that is the most loving thing you can tell someone. Okay? Because in a million years from now, someone's burning in hell, you're going to wish that you told them that they were lost before it was too late. Okay, you're not going to regret telling someone they were lost. You're going to regret telling not telling them that they were lost and that they need to be saved. Okay, so this whole nonsense about, well, it's going to hurt someone's feelings and how dare you judge someone's salvation, that's a bunch of trash. Okay, that's a bunch of trash. I would rather hurt someone's feelings in warning them of their false profession than let someone go to hell and not warn them. Okay, absolutely ridiculous. All right. Now we will look at some more evidences of a false convert. These are things to watch out for in this confusing age of apostasy that helped to cut through the confusion. Oh, excuse me. All right. Second Timothy chapter four, verses two through four. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all suffering and doctrine for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. All right, so false converts will not endure sound doctrine. They hate sound Bible preaching against sin, about God's wrath in hell, about repentance, about calling out false teachers, about music and movies, about fornication, about modesty, about roles of men and women, about final authority in the King James Bible, and just about anything else that doesn't tickle your ears and sound like this. Smile. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. Your best days are ahead of you. Ye shall be his gods. Oh, and I almost forgot. Judge not, judge not, judge not judge not judge not the most quoted verse in the the Bible today in America judge not you know uh, so what's the whole point of the Bible judge not why did Jesus die judge not uh, okay judge not but in all seriousness the this is one of the greatest ways that you can tell. Uh, One of the signs that you can tell someone is a false convert. If they hate sound Bible preaching, they don't like preaching against sin. They don't like about hearing about God's wrath and hell and repentance and all that other stuff. They don't like that. And they will tell you they don't like that. They will tell you, oh, this is judgmental, self-righteous. You sound like judgmental Pharisees and stuff like that. That's a bunch of trash. Okay, there are Pharisees. There are self-righteous Judgmental people who have bad attitudes, but that doesn't mean that true preaching of sound doctrine is a Pharisee, is pharisaical, okay? And these people just don't like people preaching against their sin. That's what it boils down to. And false converts hate biblical sound doctrine preaching. Hate it. They hate preaching against sin. They hate preaching about all that stuff. All right? False converts do not know the Bible, and so when they hear the whole counsel of God being preached, it seems like some strange, awful thing to them. Oh, i never heard this before. I'm used to my preacher preaching some smooth, tickly thing, tickling my ears every week, or preaching the gospel every week. I'm not used to any meat or anything really of any substance. So false converts are just like King Ahab. When they hear a real preacher tell the truth, they have this reaction. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him for he never prophesied good unto me, but always evil. Okay. Ahab hated good preaching. He hated the truth. Why? Because, because, excuse me, because it affect, it was against his sin. He hated it. He said, he never prophesied good unto me. I just want to hear good things. Why? Cause you're a wicked devil. That's why you didn't want to him exposing your sin. Um, the, the they don't come to the light lest their deeds should be reproved that's why they don't come to the light wicked men don't like the light because it reproves them of their evil deeds shines a light on the darkness they don't like that they hate it they hate sound, preaching against sin. False converts don't like doctrinal sermons. Instead, they like a lot of music with a little sermonette that makes them feel all warm and fuzzy inside, followed by some coffee and donuts. False converts like fables, like sermons by Joel Osteen, Rick Warren, Joyce Meyer, Rob Bell, Perry Noble, and any other hireling professional ear tickler. Or if they're a fundy false convert, they like the hyped up fake preaching of people like Jack Hiles, That's right, Jack Kyle's the fake, phony, cult leader, mind-controlling, wicked devil that sent many people to hell with their false um, gospel, running people and children through prayers, one after the other, so they could boast about how many people they got saved. Yeah, false converts like that preaching too, and there are thousands of of those false converts all around the nation. You know, that guy, Bob Gray, that's another fundy, fake, fake preacher, wicked devil who said he's got like a million people saved. And then there's like a hundred people at their church. Go figure. Uh, Yeah, that's the false converts like that stuff too. Because they like being a fake Pharisee. They put on their suit. They go to their fundy church. They do forced handshaking time. They put their money in the plate. They do all this stuff. And they shout, Amen! And they run the aisles. And they do all this stuff. But guess what? They're lost. They're fake. They're on their way to hell. They're just putting on a show. And they're not saved. False convert. Next. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The unsaved man cannot have more than a surface-level understanding of the Bible. They can't. They can't have a more than a surface-level understanding of the Bible. The deep doctrinal teachings of the Bible and spiritual understanding of types and shadows are beyond the grasp of the false convert. The false convert may convincingly repeat what he has heard from others, but has not had any experience where the Holy Spirit opened his eyes to some deep truth in the word of God that was previously not understood. They don't have that. They don't have that experience. They don't have, when you're reading the word of God, the Holy Spirit should speak to you and show you things from the word of God. And it should reveal the truth unto you, okay? The spirit, the truth is spiritually discerned. The spirit of truth should guide you into all truth. Okay, and if he's not, then you're not saved. Okay, so the false convert, yeah, they can repeat, you know, false converts, they can convincingly repeat to you uh, systematic theologies, especially they can repeat to you um, everything they know about the, the doctrines of Calvinism, or, you know, their systematic theologies of dispensationalism and Ruckman's dispensational theology or, or Schofield and Larkin, or they can repeat to you um, their reformed uh, you know, gurus, apologetics, and all this other stuff. They can repeat all that stuff and they memorized all that stuff, but can they say, hey, you know the Lord showed me this the other day when I was reading the Bible? Nah, they can't. All they know is what they've heard and they've repeated to be accepted in their little group, in their little denomination or their little subgroup. They can just repeat those teachings that they heard, but they don't actually go to the Word of God to be fed by God Himself, to have the Holy Ghost show them truths out of the Word of God where they are taught of God. They don't do that. They don't know how to do that because they're not saved. That's why. They're just a counterfeit fitting in a group, fitting in a clique, putting on a show to be accepted of men. That's it. The false convert will also often doubt much of the Bible, including a literal six 24-hour day creation. They'll believe in such nonsense as the gap theory or, uh, you know, an old earth and these types of things. They will doubt the divine inspiration, inerrancy, and preservation of Scripture. They will doubt historical and scientific accuracy of Scripture. And generally, anything that is supernatural or mocked by the world, they'll deny it. They'll deny it. They'll make excuses for it. They'll claim to be a Christian, but they'll make some excuses for it. And they will not believe the Word of God. All right. Luke chapter 13, verse 6. Excuse me. he spake also, this parable, Jesus did, a certain man, this is Luke chapter 13, verse six, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering and said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after thou shalt, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Okay. So sometimes babes in Christ need a boost, of fertilizer. That's the dung, right? said so dig about it and dung it. Put some dung in there. Dung is fertilizer. Okay. Sometimes they need a boost to get the growth going. I firmly believe this involves a brother in Christ that will come to this person who professes faith in Christ, yet has a life lacking in fruit, and show them from the scriptures what the new life in Christ should be, or what their error is. This brother may gently instruct them, and I'm not talking about being a Pharisee and going to them and being like, you lost wicked devil, you fake, you phony, how could you believe this? How could you do this? Blah, blah, blah. I'm not talking about being a self-righteous person like that. No, I'm talking about going to someone privately and talking to them. Okay? So this brother may gently instruct or reprove them, and maybe the babe in Christ will hear some true Bible preaching from another source, and it will bring conviction to the babe in Christ. The babe in Christ will repent of not reading the scriptures and obeying. Wow, but the difference is, what's the, what will the false convert do? Well, the false convert will rebel against any hard preaching or correction and justify their sin, even to the point of using the Bible to justify their sin. That's what the false convert does. They don't accept correction. They don't accept reproof. And not only will they reject the reproof, they will justify their sin with the Bible. They always do it. That's how you know you got a false convert on your hands. This is why church discipline is also important because it helps to keep false converts out of the church. The Bible is clear that when someone is a true heretic, they will not listen to you no matter what, no matter how much scripture you give them, and that their mind has been destroyed by the false doctrine they cling to. Titus chapter 3 verse 10 says this, a man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself. All right, so what does subverted mean? Subverted means overthrown, overturned, entirely destroyed. They're entirely destroyed. They're overthrown. Their mind is destroyed. You come to someone and they're a heretic, and you try to tell them. The Bible says second admonition. So you try two times to correct them on their heresy. And if they reject you after that, you just got to say, okay, I'm going to have to separate from you because you're a heretic. You don't want to hear the truth. Your mind is overthrown; it's destroyed. All right, they don't want to hear the truth, and that's the reality of it. They're a heretic. They're not saved. They're a false convert. But if someone, another, you know, if someone is a false convert and they're living in sin, you come to them. You say, hey, brother, you know, uh, I have to come to you with the Bible. And show you where you're living in sin. And 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 according to the scriptures, I'm going to call you to repentance. Because you are bringing reproach on the name of Christ. You're, you are damaging your own testimony by living in this sin. And let me show you from the Bible why it's sin. And if they're filled with pride and they're a false convert, they'll get mad at you. They'll hate you. They'll call you a self-righteous Pharisee. Or they'll deny that they've ever sinned. And, uh, and they'll probably use the Bible to twist the scriptures to justify their sin and they'll attack you. That's what a false convert will do. But a babe in Christ will be convicted. They'll say, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. And they'll repent of it. And then they'll restore. And if you're not a self-righteous Pharisee, you will forgive them. You will help to restore them. And uh, and amen. It'll be great. But uh, that's the difference between a false convert and a babe in Christ. All right. And, and just to end end this... We're at the end of the teaching here, just about. A little bit more on justifying here, because justifying, this is one of the easiest, greatest ways to determine a false convert, is they will justify themselves. They will justify all their actions, all their sin. They always have to justify themselves, justify their sin. All right, this is what Jesus said to the Pharisees, uh, Luke 16, 14. And the Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard all these things, and they derided him. They attacked Christ. And Jesus, he said unto them, Jesus said, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. God knows what's in your heart. You can justify yourself all you want before men. And they might even be convinced by your justification. You can give all your reasons, you can preach entire sermons, many different sermons justifying yourself, but God knoweth your hearts. God knows your heart and he knows the truth and he knows you're not going to get away with it and that what you're saying is wrong. So as the wicked Pharisees did, false converts will justify everything they do with the Bible. They will justify justify all manner of sin, worldliness, and foolish behavior or wicked behavior, arrogant, pride, um, railing, anything. They'll justify their behavior with the Bible, even to the point of creating elaborate theological systems and rules just for a cloak for their sin. That's what the Pharisees did. They created an entire system um, that allowed them to make them look like they were obeying when they were disobeying God hey, they appeared unto men. Oh, they're the most holy. They're the ones that keep all the commandments. They do this, 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 and this. But in reality, they were the most wicked. And Jesus called them, the serpents, you generation of vipers. How can you escape the damnation of hell? You fools, you blind guides, you hypocrites. He called them all these names. Why? Because they were the wicked, the most wicked. But they fooled the people into thinking they were the most holy. They were the ones that kept all the commandments. You know what that reminds me of today? The fundamentalists, the historic Baptists, the Baptists that claim that they have the truth, they are right about everything, but in reality, they're the Pharisees. They're the wicked ones that devour people and hate people, and uh, all they do is come up with loopholes so they can live in their sin. And, uh, all right, what did Jesus say about this cloak for sin? Verse 5, uh, John fifteen twenty two. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. After we speak the truth of the word of God to the false convert, they have no cloak for their sin left. Even if they still try to justify themselves, it will be in vain before God. Okay, after the cloak's gone, once you preach the truth to someone... The cloak is gone. And so now when they continue on to try to justify themselves after that, all they're doing is heaping up more condemnation upon their own head. In the day of judgment, they're going to answer for it. All right, so here's the conclusion here. We've reached the end here, the end of the radio show today, or the podcast, whatever you want to call it. Conclusion, the purpose of this study is to first give you tools to examine yourself whether you be in the faith. It is important to always judge yourself before you judge others, okay? So I didn't I didn't make this teaching so you could go around judging everybody's salvation. That's not why I made it. I made it first so you can judge yourself. That's the most important thing, to see whether you're a false convert or a baby in Christ. It's very important that you examine yourself. The Bible says examine yourselves whether you be in the faith, okay? Very important thing to do. And the next purpose is to show from the scriptures that there are ways to tell the difference between a false convert and a babe in Christ. This may not be able to be done 100% of the time with 100% accuracy, but it does help when it comes to having discernment. Okay, If you're going to have discernment, you should be able to tell a, a lot of the times the difference between a false convert and a babe in Christ. It's important to make that distinction for a number of reasons. Okay, So this study also shows that there's no such thing as carnal, a carnal Christian as far as a lot of people try to define it. a lot of but most people say well there's these are carnal Christians and this is a carnal Christian blah 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 they're just making excuses for false converts and they're not saved okay so some people even teach these so-called carnal Christians will spend a thousand years in hell or some underworld punishment outer darkness but ultimately be saved in the end this is known as kingdom exclusion or by the nickname Baptist purgatory. This teaching is most prominently pushed by Joey Faust and it is heresy. It is a false, wicked, false doctrine. This heresy is simply used as a scare tactic to try and get false converts to live holy, but it doesn't work. It only makes them Pharisees. This, they take this approach because they do not preach biblical repentance. And so their event, by the way, Joey Foss doesn't preach biblical repentance. He doesn't believe in it. Uh, they take, they do not, so I, I warn you against those that, that listen to Joey Foss. He, he believes in kingdom exclusion, which is a heresy. He wrote a whole book about it and he doesn't preach biblical repentance. So I would not, I would be very careful listening to his stuff. Yeah, I know he has a ton of, uh, he has a bunch of good research. He has good research about, um, you know, Bible versions and, and, uh, health stuff and some, whatever, some spiritual warfare stuff. But these heresies really taint things bad. And anyone else who's yoked up with him or endorses that kingdom exclusion, they're in heresy. They're endorsing this false doctrine. Absolutely. So they take this approach because they do not preach biblical repentance. And so their evangelism efforts produce many false converts basically they came up with this theology of kingdom exclusion because they said well look at how many false converts are in these churches well they didn't say (laughs) i'm sorry that's not what they said they never said false converts they said look at all these people living in sin in all these churches why all these people like this so they came up with this like second category of christians who And the day of judgment will go to spend a thousand years during the millennial reign. They're going to go to hell or some other underworld place of punishment for a thousand years. And then after that, they'll come out and they'll go to heaven. Okay. They had to come up with that for the second class uh, category of Christians, the carnal Christians, as an excuse and an explanation for why there were so many of these people that call themselves Christians in churches living in sin. No, let me tell you very clearly, it's very easy to explain. They're lost. That's all there is to it. These professing Christians are lost. They're false converts. They're not saved. They're not going to a Baptist purgatory. They're not going to go to some place for a thousand years. They're going to hell, and then they're going to the lake of fire forever, for eternity. Okay, and you for you to preach that is a Damnable, wicked heresy. Yeah, it is a heresy, okay and, and and I would not have fellowship with anyone that preaches that nonsense, okay? but that's just another thing to support this whole theory of the carnal Christian. By the way, uh, Charles Stanley teaches that trash too. He said outer darkness is a place in heaven for carnal Christians. That is trash. Okay, outer darkness is hell where there'll be weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. That's hell. It's not not a special place in heaven. It's not some other separate world for carnal Christians. It's hell. Okay, carnal false converts go to hell. They do not go to heaven. They're not saved. Okay, hope we make that clear. Let's end with this verse that is very clear from the Bible. And I want you to think about it. 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Let's hear that again. He that saith, I know him, whoever says, I'm saved, I know Jesus, I know God, and keepeth not his commandments, he doesn't strive to obey God, is a liar. He's not saved. He's lying, and the truth is not in him. He's not saved. There's no truth in him. He's a false convert. Okay, very clear. The Bible's very clear about this. All right, well, I hope this is this is it. I hope this has been a help to you. I hope it's been a blessing to you. Like I said, you know, I'm not saying use this teaching to go around and and, and uh, judge every everyone's salvation or something like that. But uh, it is wicked. The Bible says it's a sin against God to promise the wicked life. Okay? It's a sin to promise the wicked life. So when you promise false converts and say, oh, you're, if they question their salvation, say, no, but you prayed a prayer one time. You're saved. I know you're saved because you made a profession because blah, blah, blah. That's a sin. That's a sin to reassure someone who is a false convert that they're saved. That's a wicked sin. And you're going to be held accountable for that in the day of judgment. Okay, it is better to help to provoke someone to examine themselves. I'm not talking about it eternal insecurity okay you should have assurance of salvation you should have boldness that you should know that you're saved absolutely but if you show evidences of being a false convert then you need to examine yourselves and if some other people that you know show evidences of being a false convert you should in love go to them and speak the truth and warn them so that maybe you could help to avoid them going to hell uh, that would be a, the loving thing to do. Okay? So I hope this is a, helping, a help and a blessing to you. Please uh, listen to this. Uh, listen to it again. Study it. Compare everything to the Bible. Make sure everything's in context. Share this video, please. Share this teaching to many as many people as you can. Get this truth out there. We need to get the truth out there. From a King James Bible-believing perspective, we need to get more of the truth out there. Please, It's very important in this age of apostasy. Thank you. This has been Brother Nate Marino. Hope you have a good day. Take care. God bless.